This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 15. Episode 10. This is Writing Excuses, evaluating ideas. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Victoria. I'm Dan. And I'm out of ideas. Help. (laughs) So we often talk on this podcast about how ideas are kind of cheap. Mm -hmm. But let's shelve that. Like, we've covered that idea that a lot of great, the writers generally can use any number of different ideas and bad ideas make good books sometimes. So let's just shelve that. Let's actually talk about ideas. Because I have had once in a while an idea that I was really attached to. That I'm like, you know what? I know ideas are cheap, but I want to write this one just because I want to write it. We have a lot of question here, questions here, because we're doing questions from listeners this entire year mm-hmm. about how we evaluate our ideas and how do you figure out which ones to keep and which ones to drop. So I am, I know I look human-shaped, those who be sitting here. I'm actually a six-burner stove. This is how my entire <laughs> mind functions. Six burners on the stove, only one of them at any given time on high heat with the project that I'm actively cooking with. The other five are all simmering on very low heat as I add ingredients to my ideas. So I actually have a very long cook time mm-hmm. before I decide if an idea has legs. By the time it's time to assess what next goes on high heat, I know enough about the story to be able to tell whether it's worth pursuing. Worth pursuing. Now, for different people, those, those things are different. But for me... I don't pursue a story unless I know how it ends. And I do this because one, I'm very, I'm very prone to quitting. And if I have an ending with my story, instead of looking out at the desert, I'm looking across a field and I know it's a finite amount of space. I also am convinced to go back to the food metaphor that the end of a story is the taste left in your mouth and that we will retroactively reassess an entire book based on how strong or weak the ending is. I need my endings to be strong so that I don't lose hope and I want to work with them. So that is one of the main ingredient that I have to have. And when you add that to the fact that a lot of my ideas steep for anywhere from six months to three or four years, then I've never actually trunked a story once I've started it. Because once I've started it, I've known enough about it to know that it has the potential to be a book. As someone who, as of this recording, needs to lose at least 30 pounds. If the taste (laughs) left in my mouth was the only thing that remained at the end of the meal, that would be be heaven. Um, With regard to evaluating ideas, I... You know that that character in the police procedural whose skill set is they're really good at judging other people? And and you, dear listener, and, and me... We sometimes like to think that we're good judges of people, or maybe maybe that's a skill that we want. Um, I have come to grips with the fact that I'm still not very good at it. There are people who I who I have made the right call on, but there are people who I haven't. Um, evaluating ideas is the same way. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. You have to meet a lot of people and interact with them. You have to meet a lot of your ideas and interact with them. You have to explore them. You have to try to write them. And then you develop this sense for, oh, this idea is a three-book idea. This idea is a plot twist. Uh, where, But both ideas could be expressed in seven words and uh, and look the same until you've worked at it a lot. I work very similarly to Victoria with this whole burner thing. Um, Whatever I'm writing on, I often can't say what the next thing is going to be. 
Um, with the caveat that when deadlines are tight, it's going to be the one that I have a contract coming due on. But it, when I hit that point and I try to build my schedule A, here is a free slot. You have six months, you're going to be able to do anything. I can't often say which of the other five projects on the mm-hmm. other burners um, it's going to be. I get there and then I decide. And while I'm working on my book, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm sure I'm going to do this thing next. And then it'll change to another one. If I had finished that book right then, we would have gotten a different novel next, um, yeah. which uh, can be, I know, frustrating for fans because I'll tell them sometimes, here are the many things that I'm planning to do next. I'm going to do one of these. And some of the ones that they really are waiting for just never come up because I'm not, when that time to turn all the burners up, I look at them all and decide which one I'm most passionate about. Well, there's a commonality coming into play here as well, which is the gut feeling, which is, of mm-hmm. course, the frustrating because it is unquantifiable. It is the fact that we consume enough narrative to begin to tell in our own work when something is ready and when something is not. I've just finished a book that I sat on for six years because even though I had the pieces of it, I knew I wasn't ready. I wasn't a strong enough writer. And that's a really hard conversation to have with yourself because we get excited about ideas. And so I think having the six burner stove or a four burner stove or two burner stove, giving yourself options really helps you because you don't know where you're going to be at when you're ready to write that next book. And the fact that for all of us, what it eventually comes down to is passion and excitement. What are you most excited about? You will notice nobody in talking about how they choose projects said, oh, well, this is what sells, right? Mm -hmm. And we always talk about don't chase the market. Don't chase the market. Like, there is not a market for any particular genre or style. What there's a market for is stuff that's awesome. And you will be able to write better the idea that you just can't wait to start writing. You'll be able to write that better than, than anything else. I will add the caveat there that when a contract is coming due, in a lot of ways, you also have to learn how to force yourself to write, be passionate about something that mm-hmm. you've committed to writing. And that's yeah. a different skill. But, a different but, but you presumably committed to that because you were excited I was going to say, this is mm-hmm. the thing. This is why it comes back to themes we've talked about already, but it's why it's so important that you let passion and what you actually want to write and not what you think people want to read be a guiding force for your entire career because that's the only way that you guarantee that when those deadlines come up, you want to write this thing. You're not writing something that you had no interest in writing because you thought it would sell. Like, you have to make sure that in some way you have that emotional connection with everything on your six burner stove so that even if you have to move something into that forward spot, you're not dreading it. Maybe it's, maybe you're really excited about something else, but it's really important that you have that core fire for everything that you're writing. Last night, my daughters uh, made me sit down and watch several episodes of a YouTube uh, Team Fortress 2 commentary gamer. And at one point in the episode, he was doing something funny and and they were playing a song. I think it was a love song or something. It was a song I was familiar with, but because of copyright, they couldn't actually play the song or the YouTube video would get pulled. And so he had a cheesy karaoke version of the music playing in the background and the Team Fortress 2 computer voice reading the lyrics. And this is the difference between execution on a brilliant idea which is going to sell millions of copies and execution on a brilliant idea which never would have gotten out of the recording studio. The the song, as read by the computer voice, it worked in the episode, obviously, because we had context. But if you send, if you set those two things side by side, that is the difference between an author who doesn't yet know how to really execute on an idea and an author who does. When people look at the things that I've done and say, oh man, that idea was so brilliant, 
I shrug. I'm like, hey, you know what, guys? The idea was not brilliant. What was brilliant, and I say this patting myself on the back, is that I managed to stretch it out across an entire book, and I drew some really fun pictures, and I made some cool reveals, and it wasn't the idea at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, a few months ago, published a novella with Magic the Gathering, which, you know, to our earlier point, I was not necessarily in love with that setting, right? Because I didn't know what it was when I signed the contract. And then I got into their offices and they're like, well, this character and this setting, go. And so what I had to do was take that core of an idea and find something that I was passionate about in it. What am I going to be able to do? So uh, first thing, I made it into a heist story and it was not intended to be one, but they were cool with it and they rolled with it because that's what I was excited about. And being able to take you know, those kind of, Victoria talked about adding ingredients to the pots. I had this big pile of ingredients that hadn't gone in any, any pots yet. And I was able to throw those exciting ideas into the other job and then get really excited about it. Also talk about one of the most difficult and important things to cultivate in yourself is the understanding of the kitchen sink, right? That you do not need to take every idea that excites you and put it into one book. It's about, and I know I come back to the cooking metaphor a lot, but it's it's about finding like flavors that work together. You don't need to dump every season and every spice and every ingredient in. It's about learning to withhold and say, this would actually be better on its own as the starlight, you know, the star thing of a different meal. On the second night we were in our our house, uh, we ran the dishwasher. You said kitchen sink. Um, and the dishwasher drains into the sink. And there was this gargling, which woke me up because it sounded like a voice. And this idea came to me that, oh my gosh, you have a family who's in a house and they think there's the house is possessed because the sink is talking to them and the exorcist can't do anything and the priest can't do anything and the plumber fixes it. And that was the end of the idea. And that was as far as it went. This is 1999, uh, before Schlock Mercenary. Two years into Schlock Mercenary, I realized, you know what? I bet I can tell a ghost story in Schlock Mercenary where it gets fixed by the plumber and everybody is quite upset at that. Uh, So yeah, these ideas, they come from weird places and some of them may seem completely stupid, but I mean, to the kitchen sink point, I keep track of them. I write them down. You don't write it down, it's lost forever, and you don't get to use it. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's stop for our awesome thing of the week because it's not a book. It's awesome. It is awesome. Um, So Howard and I and some other local fantasy authors do a Twitch show. We play D&D online every week so that you guys can watch us. It is called Typecast RPG. Uh, We're using, right now, we're doing a campaign called The Gods of Veyron in 5th Edition D&D Rules. And that is me as the GM, Howard Taylor, Charlie Holmberg, Brian McClellan, Marty Murdoch, and Ethan Sprout. All science fiction fantasy professionals, all authors except Ethan, who's a professor of science fiction. And it's super cool. There's a thing that happens in typecast which uh, which speaks well to this uh, to this topic. Um, I will sometimes illustrate moments from the game, and there are moments which 
are beyond my skill and I'm just not going to try. Um, but every so often I will have an idea and the, I, I need to execute on it in literally in a minute and a half, because if I wait too long, if I draw too slowly, it's gone. Um, and the practice that this has given me in evaluating ideas it has been frighteningly effective because I have to make the decision quickly. I have to execute to the best of my admittedly limited cartooning ability. Yes, I've been doing this for 20 years, but I know what my skill set is and what my skill set isn't. Um, that's the sort of thing that uh, that I think authors can learn from in that you have an idea. Uh, you don't need to spend a novel fleshing it out. See how quickly you can flesh it out to determine what it leads to. So we have um, further questions along this line. One person asks, how can you tell if a story you're struggling with has potential and that you should push through or if you should leave it and start working on something you like more? Someone please answer this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a difficult thing. I always say it's the same kind of thing along the lines of writer's block if you need to understand why you're struggling. There's a difference between struggling because you're afraid of not doing it justice, mm -hmm. struggling because you're bored, which your guaranteed readers are going to be bored then. And kind of like you need to assess where you're mentally at in the process. I will say that some days, one of the only things that keeps me going on a story is the fact that I do have an ending in mind. So coming back to my definitely not prescriptive wisdom, but if you are somebody who struggles to finish things or finds yourself getting lost on the way, I do find that having an ending or at least having mile markers, having things and scenes and moments that you're excited about in the story, having them not all be in the first act, these are things which help me get from A to B to C to D and so on. That's great advice. Um, having things you're writing toward that you're excited about. Um, another thing kind of on the flip side you can do is I try to sit down. If I'm feeling bored, I try to step back and say, how can I make this chapter someone's favorite chapter in the whole book? And I find that almost always I can find a way to change up the what's going on just a little bit to make that specific chapter a real showpiece for the book. And if you can do that for every chapter, suddenly you don't, you're not worried about the idea anymore. You're excited about how this is going. Um, I often say that for newer writers, my experience has been that most of the time you should use one of those options rather than abandoning the story. Um, there are times to abandon stories, but I think it should have, it should be the exception, not the rule. It should happen very rarely. And particularly if you're new, you just need to learn to finish things. And so learn to yeah. make every chapter the most exciting or the most interesting chapter in the book. Yeah, definitely. If this is your first book or even your second, just finish it. Uh, because forcing yourself to finish a book that you are maybe not in love with anymore is going to teach you how to stay in love with books. It's going to teach you so much more about evaluating their validity than we can just tell you over the computer. Yeah, here. I did it. I did an unblocking session, a uh, small group session at the uh, Writing Excuses retreat in uh, 2019. Um, and it was a delightful session. Uh, and one of the things that I, that I talked about is that you know, I've been doing this for long enough that I have a checklist. Uh, and the checklist is there to determine, is this an overarching story problem? Is this a scene problem? Is this a chapter problem? And then is this a me problem? Am I sick? Have I eaten yet today? Do I need to hydrate? Do I need to go get some exercise? Do I need to go back to the well? Uh, have I forgotten to take my medication today? There's all kinds of things. And until I have, until I actually acknowledged that there was a checklist and that there were criteria, I was really bad at figuring this out. I've gotten much better at it uh, because 
I get stuck all the time. I think we all, to some level, get stuck all the time. And if the only question you know how to ask is, does this mean it's time to abandon the story? Means, boy, you need you need a checklist because yeah. there's a whole bunch of other things that come first. You need more questions before that last resort. Yeah. Yeah, I, even in my professional career, I've rarely abandoned stories. Um, the one that I've abandoned most recently was done after revisions determined that revising the book to be as good as I wanted to be would be as much work as writing a new book. And that revision wasn't guaranteed to succeed. Um, and so I shelved that book. Um, and, and the new book would be better. And the new book would be better. Um, and I shelved that book, but I still finished the book, right? Yeah. Um, finishing things. And, you know, we have another question here. How do you keep en- find energy to keep a story going after that first spark of inspiration fades? Yeah. I feel so strongly about this. This is shiny new idea syndrome. It is a medical syndrome. I think we have all <laughs> felt it. There's a thing that happens either 50 pages, 100, 150 pages in, where suddenly you are like, mm, this is familiar. And I have, and, and that is exactly when you get a shiny new idea. Something pops into your head. It's shiny. You don't understand it. It's mysterious. It's alluring. And you think, I should follow that instead. So many writers, especially aspiring writers, aspiring authors, drop the thing that they're working on to go follow the shiny new idea. It is a trick that your brain is pulling because in order to finish a story, in order to write a story, not only its beginning, but its middle and its end, you have to become familiar with the material. As you become familiar with the material, that inherent shine of mystery and elusiveness wears off. Potential energy becomes kinetic energy in which something is always lost. And so we think, surely if I follow the shiny new idea, that one won't disappoint me. And it is a way... (laughs) towards madness. It is a way to never finish anything. And so I think that comes back to finish it, even if it's not fabulous, even if you don't want to revise it, you will learn so much in the process of hitting that finish line. I was a music composition major, and I did not learn this lesson as a musician. And I think it may be the reason why I'm a cartoonist and not a musician, because by the time I started cartooning, I'd figured it out. As a musician, I came up with wonderful themes and textures and arrangements and everything was a couple of minutes long. And my instructors kept saying, give us some theme and variation, explore this, dig into this, expand it. But it's perfect the way it is. And it wasn't perfect the way it was. I had another shiny idea I wanted to chase instead. Um, And yeah, you listen to, you listen to an orchestral suite uh, you listen to the, you know, the symphonic greats from whenever. Uh, there's a core theme in there that they explored and explored and explored and explored and explored before they moved on to the shining. I think when you're in this situation and you're kind of bored with a story and you want to pursue a new one, you're trying to decide if you should drop it or not. Take a look at what your goals are for that. What are you hoping to accomplish with this short story or this book that you are writing? Because first of all, as we've discussed, if your early career, the purpose of that book is not to sell, right? And if you think, oh, this is, I'm not going to be able to sell this. Well, you're not going to be able to sell it anyway. It's your first book. Um, Its goal is to teach you how to write your second book. And we're saying that very kindly. (laughs) Very kindly and lovingly. (laughs) I have five garbage truck novels that before I finally wrote uh, my first published novel. Uh, So, you know, think about it. And, And so- Really what you're doing if your early career is you're learning how to write books and you don't have to think, oh, well, this book won't sell or this book, you know, isn't perfect. It doesn't matter because your goal is to learn how to write and finishing it is going to teach you how to write. 
We are out of time. Howard, do you have some homework for us? I have some truly terrifying homework for you. I want you to get a, uh, a writing implement and something to write on. Pencil, maybe a notebook, and set it next to your bed or whatever the thing is that you sleep on. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, write down everything you can remember about your dreams from the night before. If you can't remember anything, write the words, I didn't remember my dreams this morning. Okay? Do this for a week. At the end of the week, review the journal and see if there is an idea there that perhaps you want to explore in your fiction. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go dream. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.